So what do you think is worse? To be ignored? Or to be frequently misunderstood and misused? Just to be neglected? Or to be trivialized? What's worse? Well, none of them are, neither of them are very good. None of them are deal, I, I, ideal. I, I, I'm not sure which I think is worse. Why am I asking? Well, because we are thinking this week about Bible reading and prayer. In our series, looking over the form of vows, what it means to be part of the fellowship here as a reaffirming as we gather ourselves after all we've been through in the last couple of years, and in describing what we mean by living the Lord's way and our vows of association, after speaking about worship and active discipleship and committed financial giving that we've looked at in the past few weeks, our vow says, by commitment to grow through regular prayer and Bible reading. Now note the first part, commitment to grow. That's what we were saying a couple of weeks ago from 2 Peter chapter 1 about make every effort, make every effort. It's a commitment to do more for Jesus. There's to be a moving, a growing in Christian faith. And here, in this one, by commitment to grow through regular prayer and Bible reading, we identify two key parts or two key elements of growth in the Christian life. Yet one of them is largely ignored, and one of them is quite often misunderstood and trivialized. It doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. Now, there's a huge number of references to prayer and to the Scriptures in the New Testament. Prayer is the one that's often misused or trivialized. Many people make references to praying without any reference to Jesus at all. I prayed as I went up to take that penalty kick. Who were you praying to? Help me pass this exam, make this illness go away. These might be more legitimate concerns. So too would may someone see my distress signal. But these two are often made without any thought about who we're praying to. The important thing about prayer is not just what it does to us and for us, but reaching out to God. You can write the most thoughtful, the most compassionate, the most wonderful card to someone, but if in the envelope you put the wrong house number, the wrong street, and indeed the wrong city, it's not going to get there. And they're not going to get that compassion and that thoughtfulness and that understanding that you were wanting to give. And so too, if we're just praying to the ceiling or to whoever or whatever's out there, it's not addressed properly. Because prayer can only be addressed properly when it's through Jesus, who brings, gives us access into the throne room of God. Prayer is not just crying out or finding ourselves in trouble. It's not our, an SOS when we've um, reached an end of ourselves. Prayer is an expression of fellowship with God. It's a relationship extending and a, and a relationship deepening thing. Conversation involving adoration, confession, thanksgiving and more. 
as well as asking. Prayer too often has been trivialized. The scriptures, well, the Bible is, they say, the least read best-selling book. At least when it comes to being read by us at home in our own time. That was something not always possible in the history of the church, of course. There was a time when adult literacy was low. There were times when there was no mass printing and therefore not many copies of the Bible. And there were times when dreadful church leaders insisted the Bible could only be read in Latin. But none of that applies today. There are plenty of opportunities. Now, one place where we see both prayer and Bible reading come together is when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the passage that we read this morning. When we've looked at that passage before, we've focused on the three temptations Today, I want to focus more on the context, what was behind, certainly for Jesus. Firstly, verse 1 in chapter 4, he was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went into the wilderness. Now, this was just after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. He'd been, he'd, the Spirit, there was a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. There was the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son, this was a time of blessed affirmation for Jesus. Here's the Messiah. Here's the one that John the Baptist had been preaching about. And we might expect, he's, he's just ready for action. Away he goes. I mean, the, the circumstances were great, weren't they? John the Baptist had already attracted a crowd. There was crowds there. It seemed that they were being responsive to what John was saying. They were asking John about what they, they should do to, 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 before they could be baptized for repentance. They were, God was speaking to them. And, and hey, they were just ripe for Jesus' ministry. And what does Jesus do? He's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. That's strange, isn't it? You would expect him to say, well, here's a good start. Here's a leg up, all these people already here and, and ready to go. Let's just build on that. And the Spirit took him into the wilderness. And he was tempted, verse 2, throughout the 40 days. Not just the three instances that we read about in verses 5 to 12. Yet those three were real challenges. Challenges about how G who Jesus was and how he was to fulfill his calling. They were attempts to get Jesus to take shortcut the wrong route to the kingdom of God. Would he or would he not be faithful not only to what he was called to do, but the manner in which he was called to do it? And it was through his time in the wilderness, it was through these 40 days, when not just was he tempted, but 40 days that he was spending in close fellowship with his heavenly Father. It was through these 40 days, where as it were, Jesus was getting his bearings. It was a time with God, a time of prayer, a time in meditation, a time of fasting, when he was going to focus on what God wanted from him and how he was going to do what God wanted from him. And it was that that gave him the perspective to resist temptation. You see, prayer is our fellowship with God. It's, it's relating God. It's about getting our bearings. It's not just, can you help me out here? 
I put down that Paris was the capital of Italy in my exam. Do you think you could sort that out? That's not what prayer is. It's a fellowship with God. And this was typical of Jesus, that he would spend time getting his bearings. Very often at key moments, at busy moments, and just the challenges of daily life, and the times of decision-making, we're told he often withdrew in order to spend time in prayer. After an early healing in his ministry, in, in Mark chapter 1, when the crowds were then looking for him to heal others, Jesus had other plans, and we're told in Mark 1 at verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then, verse 38, when he's back and his followers are saying, well, there's a bit of a queue outside here, a real waiting queue of a, the doctor's surgery kind of thing, Jesus says, no, no, that's not what I'm here for. I've got to go and preach the gospel in other places. He'd spent time getting his bearings again. He'd spent time saying, what am I supposed to be doing here? Look at all this need. How can I walk away from it? Well, there's a ministry and mission for him as a Messiah that he had to do. Before choosing his twelve apostles, we're told, Luke chapter 6, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. In the middle of a busy ministry, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sent his disciples on ahead because he wanted some solitary time. After he dismissed them, he went up a mountainside by himself to pray. And of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Throughout his life, Jesus made time to pray. He withdrew from others. He went up the mountainside. He got up when it was early in the morning and still dark. Times during which he was building fellowship with his heavenly Father. Times when he was keeping himself faithful. Times that directed his life and his ministry. Times that gave him the resolve to serve. And that helped him maintain priorities when temptation came and so on. He took deliberate, specific action to make sure there was plenty of time for prayer. Very often, the plain and simple reason that we do not pray as we could or pray as we should is that we do not intend to or do not plan to. Jesus withdrew. These were not the only times that he prayed, but he made sure that prayer happened. Before we go on holiday, we plan. It doesn't just happen. We get organized. We make a booking or two. We arrange travel. We, we pack clothes. We might even have to go and buy clothes that we're, we're going to need and so on and so on. If we simply left it to how we felt each day, the holiday wouldn't happen. Often the neglect of prayer is because we haven't planned to pray. We haven't worked out where's the best time, where's the best place, just as Jesus did. We haven't thought about who or what we can pray for. 
Now, our monthly prayer diary for the congregation is a guide, but it's only a starter. And we should have a list of cares and concerns. And if you find that your prayer list gets too long to be prayed every day, well, get a notebook and have something that you pray for on a Monday, something on a Tuesday, something on a Wednesday, with, so that we can be praying at least once a week for all that we want to pray for. Now, I'm not saying that we should not have holidays only that we have them because we plan to have them, that shows that they matter to us. How much planning is done for your prayer life? Jesus then was led by the Spirit and he had these regular times of withdrawal because he knew that prayer mattered. And then... There was his response, as it were, the ammunition that he needed, which came from the Scriptures. Because three times, verses 5 to 12, when Satan had tempted him in these particular and specific ways, Jesus replied, quoting Scripture, It is written, verse 4, it is written, verse 8, it is said, verse 12. And it turns out that all three of them come from the early chapters of Deuteronomy. If you're looking at the church Bibles, you'll see that in the footnotes at the bottom of the page, chapter 8, chapter 6, and chapter 6 again. Well, it seems that's where Jesus had been focusing his thoughts. And reading the scriptures made a difference. It gave him perspective. It helped him to get his bearings, to know how he should live. Notice 2, verse 10, the devil quoted scripture. It's not simply enough to know the words, but we have to ask, what do they mean? And what do we have to do with them? There's these three stages. What does the scripture say? What does it mean? And what do I have to do about it? For the Bible is not given to us to entertain us or amuse us. It's to help us to get to know God better and better follow him. Apostle Paul told Timothy when he was nurturing Timothy as a young Christian, uh, how, uh, and this is from 2 Timothy 3, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, very often when I've heard folks go to those verses, it's, it's been to emphasize the inspiration, the God-breathedness of scripture, and, and that's right and important. But I want to underline it has an impact, it has an effect, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. It is how he's, Timothy's been made wise for salvation through faith in Christ. How is it that we are um, enabled not simply to pray to the ceiling or just to throw something out there and hope that somebody hears? How is it that we're able to find out how and who to pray to? How do, how do we find out that there is access to the throne of grace? How can we find out that us sinners can, can go to a holy God and ask for things. That's given to us in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures that we discover God's intention for us. That's what's going on with Jesus in this chapter. That's why he was able to deflect Satan's tricks. Because he knew the word of God and how to follow it in his life. Now don't be put off by thinking, oh I don't know enough. Well, we all start off from not knowing enough. 
But it's about learning bit by bit, step by step. And again, as with prayer, some planning is needed. We don't take in the truth that God is showing us without having a time and a place and a plan to read. The truth of God is not given to us um, like some kind of air freshener. It just hangs there and somehow permeates across, across the room. It's given to us in the words of Scripture that we have to take time to look at and say, what does this say? What does this mean? What am I supposed to do with it? Jesus did that. That's what's happening here in Luke chapter 4. Now, if Jesus had to do that, so much better than Jesus that you don't need it? Is that what you think? I don't have to make time to pray and plan and how to read Scripture. No, Jesus did. And that's what gave him the wherewithal to resist what Satan was trying to trick him into and trip him up with. On Friday there, we put out um, online another Claremont calling. It was a follow-on from, there was a one a couple of weeks ago where folks in the congregation were saying what they'd been using and, and how, what tools they'd had for reading Scripture and so on. And the one on Friday there was to give some help and point us to some resources that, that can be used to help us on a day-to-day -day basis. And some of these resources are there and available on the, on the bookstall today after the service. Again... Take time and prepare and plan for our holidays and so on. What about for Scripture? God's Word to us, which is, as Paul said to Timothy, the Word that's wise for salvation. Now, in verse 13 of the passage, we see that Jesus overcame and resisted the devil at this time. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. He wasn't going away for always noticed. He was an opportune time. And then in verse 14, where we to read on, we see Jesus moving into his public ministry. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And so he began teaching in the synagogues, verse 15. Jesus was equipped for the work he had to do by getting the guidance from the Word of God. It enabled him to resist temptation and serve as God had called him to. And then we're even told that uh, he, he quoted from Scripture further down in that message in the synagogue. And again, that's typical. After Jesus' death and resurrection, when he spoke to the two followers on the road to Emmaus, he, we're told, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them what was to said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. And notice that after that encounter between Jesus and these two followers in the road to Emmaus, after Jesus had been taken from them, after they had realized who it was that was speaking to them, what, what were they saying to each other? Isn't that amazing? We've seen Jesus. Wow, what, I wonder how that happened, that he rose from the dead. I wonder how he did that. How do you suppose the stone got moved? Now, what they say is, verse 32 of that, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's what grabbed them. Jesus 
was showing them from Scripture that the Messiah was not some political conqueror to boot out the Romans, that the Messiah was God's Savior come for the world to die and rise again for sin so that people like us could have access into the very throne and the very presence of a living holy God, that we could know our salvation, the basis for guilt and condemnation removed. And Jesus got that from the Scriptures, and he he passed that on to them from the Scriptures. And that's what they were excited about. Luke 24. So both prayer and scriptures are privileges given to us to help us to get to know better. It's not about some kind of religious duty. It's not doing good to keep in God's good books. It's how better to know him. The gospel offer is to bring us into a living relationship with a living God. And like all living relationships, there has to be communication. In all living relationships, there has to be connection and interaction. And the staggering reason why God has spoken and why he's given us his word in the scriptures, the staggering reason why God has offered us access to him expressed in prayer, is that he wants us to be friends with him. Friendship is not fully enjoyed when we are out of touch with each other. Oh, I've got friends I haven't spoken to for a while. Not because we're falling out, we're just different parts of the country or different parts of the world, and life doesn't cross paths very often. They're still friends. But I don't enjoy their friendship as much as when I am with them, when I hear from them again when we're sending messages, when we're able to meet up. Friendship is much, much more when that participation and that contact is there, isn't it? And God doesn't want us to be friends at a distance. The prayer and the Bible reading is say, enjoy me more. Let's get the friendship on a better and better and better footing. To spend time with friends, to share with them, to find out what is going on in their lives, to share what is happening in our life. It's a blessed thing. Why wouldn't a Christian want that kind of relationship with God? Why wouldn't a Christian want more of that? Let us pray.